Visit discoverygreen.com presented in part by KBFT Houston 90.1 FM.
This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Thank you for tuning in to celebrate with us, as we've been doing, because every day is Hispanic Heritage Month around here. Of course, we have an action-packed show for you. This one is yet another great lineup. I'm not sure how we keep topping ourselves. At the top of the program, we're going to have an interview with Jose Antonio Vargas, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and author of the new book, Notes of an Undocumented Immigrant. It is real, a real powerful examination into what it means to be undocumented. And he gets real on a lot of this because it boils down to the fact that he literally could get deported at this reading or any other readings because he has been very honest about being undocumented. And as he'll explain, his whole purpose is to bring a more honest, inclusive conversation and complicate things. We commend him for that. We're happy to have him on the show. We're happy to be bringing him live to Houston with our partners, Brazos Bookstore, next Monday, September 24th. So that'll be the first interview. And then after that, we have some teatro with you. We'll be talking to La Caja de Pandora, Cuando Un Hombre Pierde El Control. Wonderful theatrical presentation, and we'll have the folks who are behind that. That'll be over at Talento Berlin with the Houston. We'll tell you exactly when. And at the top of the program, we're also going to talk about the report that just got released by the National Association of Latino Arts and Culture, NALAC. It is titled, A Call to Collaborate, Continued Inequity in Funding Houston Latinx Art Organizations, 2010-2015. Nuestra Palabra is part of this. We were... We were basically part of the survey. We've got a response to it. It's very, very potent when you find out how little money goes to us. But I do want to link that to how hard it is to do what we do, why we love doing it, and why it's so important. But it's cultural capital that needs to be supported through capital. So we'll tell you that at the top. This is Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante. This is Joe Anthony, Libre Traficante. And this is Marlon. What's up, everybody? Hey. I'm back. Thank you so much for, for helping. Even though you weren't directly in the studio at the time, your your imprint is on everything. And and I love it when we introduce ourselves a couple more times in the beginning of shows because people may forget how many folks are involved. But I bring it up to say when we talk about the inequity of Latinx arts funding, the show is run by volunteers. The station is run by donations. But we deliver a industry-level program because no one else can deliver the amount of Latinx art, culture, and history that we do. I am not claiming that. I am not saying that's my opinion. That is a bona fide fact. But I want to tell you how hard it is. So one example of that will be that I'm going to tell you about five literary events, like ones, one, one after the other, <laughs> you know, starting today. And people think, well, nuestra palabra, you're just a machine that reports all these things. 
if we did only one thing, which is just the radio show, and that was our legacy, <laughs> that would be enough. We'd have, we'd have done more than most other institutions for our community because it takes a lot of work. And there's just so much artistic talent in our community because I think when Nuestra Palabra first started as a 3D reading series, people would tell me that there's not enough Latino writers. 17 years later, we still have a radio show. <laughs> We're going on 20 years in the live event. So, but we stopped asking for funds from the Houston Arts Organization, Houston Arts Funding Organization and State Organization because they were afraid of Latinos, a racket, and also not worth the return on investment. So we invested more in, in community and culture. But I want to point that out because we can't keep up with everything. Uh, and Letty, I mean, what are, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Give folks a little bit of idea. And by the way, I'm not going to be pitching for pledges. Sounds like I'm pitching for pledges. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> which, which I'm not. Uh, so, But please, budget for us and, and write a check. We do uh, ask folks to call in. But can you give folks a couple examples of the things that, that you do? That go in? So usually uh, what I do is I usually call through events, Facebook, and then I usually go outside of Houston and then outside of Texas and then to the East Coast and California. And I'm looking for different type of writers, plays like playwrights. There's, there's a large region of artists that, that you know, need to come to the front that usually don't, you don't really think about like putting a descriptor in and searching and some beautiful Beautiful artworks, beautiful writing. Um, that you've brought to our attention yeah. that we would not have known. And we're in the field. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it takes you. And then, of course, we got Marlene helping with the lineup. Yes. You help book them. You know, Joe Anthony helps run the board. Uh, I'm out there talking to other writers, trying to include them in. You know, we always talk about, you'll pitch us stuff, too. Yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we all pitch each other on, on that thread of uh, Texas, uh, text, text, and uh, and then I constantly am, am trying to work the playlist for our show to to make it complement what's on the air. Yes, and then of course there's the promo, which is bringing together the pictures, the bios. Yes, and and little bit of a, of a terse bio bio. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then again, we get sheets at the beginning of the show so that we can know who, who we interviewed, what the content is, and we wind up putting that out to social media. I bring all that up because we are volunteers be doing this because we love the community. There should be funding for this. I, do, I say this to bring in that in the past, we have relied on cultural capital only because we can do it on our own. We need to shift now to demand that our community be respected and get the amount of funding that it needs, especially after this report is put in black and white, how little funding comes to Latino arts. So we're going to be posting and tweeting the report. And if you're on our email list, you've gotten it through email. We'll send it out again. Here's the long and the short of it. This report quantifies that at the state level of funding, Latinx organizations get less than 1% in Houston. That's about as bad as the recipients of Harvey uh, Recovery, which was less than 1%, and the numbers for um, at the land development were drastically low. I was appalled, but yes, I would say Latino, act, Latino arts probably are in the same boat. Isn't that amazing? 
And then for citywide funding, we get up to 7%. And then it's the same for the African-American arts community as well, 7%. Or as low. It's as low. Of course, Houston Latino population is 44% and growing. And the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce released its State of Hispanic Economic Development Report. They call it the Hispanic Impact. And they quantified that we spend $54 billion per year. So they quantified our economic power at $54 billion, yet our art is invisible or we do it on our own. And here's the main problem. We are imagined as consumers not creators, and that has a ripple effect. So I think we've been doing all this work out of love for our community, but now we have to take it to the next step and really demand that the multicultural and Latinx arts groups and artists get funded so that you can do that, what you described, all the time. And then there may, there should actually, there's a new, there are three new organizations. One is called HALA, Houston Alliance of Latinx Arts Organizations. We had Angel out here announcing its launching. That's going to be the super group that represents all Latinx artists. That group should get funded to maintain a calendar. That group should get funded to promote Latinx artists, multicultural events. And people should know about it so that the mainstream and smaller groups should all go to that, tap into it because we can't keep up with everything. We've been trying to do it, but we wind up working against each other, repeating different events, not reporting some. And I think now we're going to put our eye on the big prize to really push forward. And uh, Tony, sorry to interrupt you, but as you said, you know, we're constantly looking for things to promote. And I actually came across an event happening on September 27th at the Houston Public Library Carnegie, Carnegie Branch. And it's called Houston Poet Laureate Youth Workshop. Huh. So I will be sharing that on our Facebook page in case anyone's interested in attending. And we'll be getting deep on the radio show sometime soon, who's the new Poet Laureate. But I'm glad you bring that up because we report information that other people don't know about. It's not just about Latinx. It is multicultural. But this is just to say that 1% to 7% funding for Latinx art is not enough. We're going to be pushing to get more. Um, actually, on behalf of the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Board Arts Committee, I'll be writing the State of Latinx Art 2018 policy paper. I'll release that Wednesday, October 3rd, 10 a.m. at Talento Bilingue with Houston. But that's going to be an annual report that checks up on who's walking with us and who is turning their back on us. Because I'm promising you this, Houston, Texas, just the way... We put our backs and hearts and cultural capital into containing and overturning the ban of Mexican studies in Arizona, just like we put our cultural capital on the line and our hearts and our broad backs and broader imaginations to demand that Mexican studies be implemented statewide. And it was last Tuesday officially implemented statewide. I'm telling you right now, we're going to put everything we have it's getting equity for Latinx art in Houston. So from this day forward, get ready for the Latinx renaissance. I hope you strap in. I hope you are ready. This is going to be a pivotal moment where our community will have its due. Now, um, I do want to tell you about five quick literary events. So, so right after the show, starting at 7 p.m., Dintero Readings will have its monthly poetry reading series over at Stages. 
that's free. You should throw some money in the hat, though. See, we're still doing stuff for free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know stages helps somewhat, um, and I don't want to throw too much shade on them, but I know Lupe Mendez and Jasmine are putting way more work than any amount, if any, that they're getting back. So I say that to them, hey, put a little money in the hat. And if there's not a hat, put your hat around it and pass it around. Tomorrow, Jasmine Mendez will be reading her poetry and essays at Lone Star College in the academic building, room 126, at noon. Today, we Lone Star College had its Hispanic kickoff event. Thursday, not done yet. <laughs> Thursday, 6 p.m. at Talento Bilingue de Houston. We've had several of the contributors from Latino Leaders Speak, Personal Stories of Struggle and Triumph. Tomorrow, Dr. Nicholas Canelos, the publisher of Arte Publico Press, who has published the book, he'll be there along with Mickey Ibarra, who is the, the brain ch- the brains uh, behind the whole idea. We'll have um, also uh, Ms. Van de Pute, who is a le- former elected official who's in the book, and then Lionel Sosa as well. And that event is free. And then, let's see, Mon- Friday then, afternoon will be the Latino Leaders Luncheon with uh, Mr. Corchado, over at the Marquee. That one is by invitation only. And then Monday at 7 p.m. at the Lento Bilingue de Houston, where Timmy Urbrazos, to bring Jose Antonio Vargas. That is a ticketed event. We want to thank the Mexican American Bar Association of Houston for giving us tickets to give the folks who can't afford to get in. We also want to thank Coming to America, the show after our show. They've donated tickets as well. Oh, yeah, they did. That was amazing. That's very nice of them. Thank you. And then today, uh, our dear friend Kim Villarreal, she is a a sociologist, and she said, I'm buying a ticket. I want to give another ticket away, too. Uh, So we've got students that are very interested in going, folks that can't afford to go but have to go to hear the story. And you'll hear why in a little bit when you hear the interview. And then we have a couple other folks that have committed to possibly pledging as well. The whole point here is that you don't hear this from commercial enterprises. We know money has to be spent. We've done it all through cultural capital, but we need to change that in order to grow by leaps and bounds and accelerate culture, which is what we've been doing. So thank you so much for all the support. A year from now, when you're tuning into this, there'll be some incredible changes that we will all benefit from. So I want to thank everybody who's going to partner with us for that. Now, I guess we're going to do a little music before we get to the interview. Is that how yes, that will work? I believe so. Oh, and there was one more thing. Please. About, um, the luncheon, Martisa was saying that anyone that was interested to go to that luncheon, email and contact us. Give us your name and your email. Perfect. So a little perk for our listeners. Yes. And I guess we can also hit us up on social media and also put Tony at LibreTaficante.com as an easy email for you to get because we love you. So, if you'd like to go, shoot us a line. If you can't afford to go to the reading for Jose Antonio Vargas, because it is a ticketed event, but he needs our support, and we want to make sure people go, let us know. And if you got extra funds to donate to get someone else in, please let us know as well. And it's not Pledge Drive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, no commercials. Still asking for you to help, and you're coming through for us as well in many ways. So thank you so much. We're going to hit this musical break, and we're going to go right into the interview with Jose Antonio Vargas, author of Notes from an Undocumented Citizen. Stay tuned.
Latino writers have in their say is really thrilled to welcome to the airwaves and soon live and in person in Houston, Texas, Jose Antonio Vargas with his new book, Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. Welcome to the show, Jose. Thank you so much for having me. And the book is very potent and I really want to congratulate you on it and getting your words out. I do want to talk about the book, but I want people to know that your very presence here in Houston on September 24th could actually get you deported because you're on the record and, and they know where you're going to be at. Is, is it true to put it that way? Yeah. I mean, you know, this is actually the first time that my schedule has been public since um, Trump's election. I've been kind of laying low. I mean, I... Um, been talking everybody right the the election and so i spent a lot of time just kind of pouring into this book kind of you know my own state of mind and the book for me is really about that right like this mental health crisis that immigrant communities are going through and no absolutely i anything can happen in houston i'm going to be in tulsa oklahoma i'm going to be in mississippi next month i'll 
I'll be in places where we'll see. We'll see what happens. But look, I'm prepared. You know, I um, I know what it's like to be detained. I've already done that. Um, and if they, you know, if they decide to try to deport me, then we'll go see what happens when they try to do that. And, and you talk about it in the book. You also mentioned why you wrote the book. I, I, I want to ask you, of course, you're, you're a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist where you have a different relationship to the story. This really was from your heart and your gut. Uh, what was the difference for you? <laughs> you know, people of color are not so good with therapy, right? Like, I'm so many times, <laughs> so, like in the 30s and 40s, and never seen a therapist because there's this stigma in people, you know, in our communities that you're not supposed to see therapy. So I've never gotten therapy, and this is the closest I ever got to it. And once, once you kind of, you know, this is not the book that I thought I was going to write. Mm. Initially, I wanted to write a much more kind of manifesto on migration, like something more policy-driven to kind of, I'm, 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 I'm sure you noticed that the book is dedicated partly to 258 million migrants in the world. Mm. I don't think we can talk about the 11 million undocumented people in this country or the 43 million immigrant population in America without connecting it to the global, but not, you know, this global movement of people, right? And many of us, um, are migrating to countries that previously colonized and imperialized. Mm-hmm. Which, you know? which do you so address I, in the book? I think that's the conversation about, you know, the pushful factors of migration and why people move, right? Uh, um, and, and, I, and I think, to me, as, as a journalist who happens to be undocumented, as someone who's been thinking about this a lot, like, you know, we have to ask harder questions of ourselves. Mm. And, and I think your book does that in so many levels. Of course, a lot of folks from because we're nuestra palabra Latino writers having to say sometimes they don't realize how multicultural we are, but they see your name Jose Antonio Vargas. So some of them already, <laughs> yeah, it's a book on immigration. I love that you're sharing all those stereotypes, but you actually say in the book too that was one of the reasons you wrote this as well. Yeah, and you know I have to tell you, like I, I mean I grew up in California, like I grew up in the Prop 187 California. Mm. There's literally a section in the book called. Mexican Jose, Filipino Jose, right? <laughs> like, I did not really know just how anti-Mexican this country is until I started traveling the country, where where the word Mexican has become synonymous with illegal, you know? And mm. I, I'll never forget being in Alabama at one point, kind of pretty early on, like 2011, I think, right right after I came out of the New York Times magazine. And this woman who's, who's Latina just started kind of, you know, walking towards me. And she said, she's a lawyer, uh, not an immigration lawyer, I, I think like finance law or something. And she said that when she saw my name in the New York Times, she said, oh, great, another Latino. And then when she saw my face, she was like, oh my God, he's not Latino. And then she got so excited that someone not Latino is talking about illegal immigration. And she started crying. Wow. Like, you know, and, and you know, I, what anybody saying that is, we have so internalized, mm-hmm. and you know, I don't even know how you measure that. How do you measure, you know, what fifty-four million Latinos in this country? About thirty, more than thirty million Mexicans, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Mexicans in this country now are what the Germans were like a hundred years ago, mm. in terms of just sheer percentage, in terms of just you know, in terms of impact, right? Cultural impact, and yet we we have been so comfortable, you know, using the terms that we use, dehumanizing people. You know, whether or not people have papers or not. You know, one of my dearest friends is Cristela Alonso, the, the comedian mm. from McAllen, Texas. Mm-hmm. A wonderful, wonderful actress, comedian. 
you know, she grew up in a mixed status family, right? She's a U.S. citizen, grew up in poverty. And, you know, she was in McAllen, and her brothers, who are U.S. citizens, were asked for papers. Oh, Lord. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is way beyond papers and laws here. We're talking about not only, you know, what America is about, but we're also talking about American history. I'm sorry, this is, what did you say? Tejas, right? Yeah, Tejas, that's right. Right, like, I mean, you know, like, <laughs> the history of this country is the history of displacement and occupying land that wasn't American land, quote-unquote, right? Mm-hmm. So history is staring us in the face, and yet we are still, for the most part, stuck out asking superficial questions, right? Um, passing immigration reform, wherever that may be, you know, are we actually going to think that we pass immigration reform, all of a sudden we're going to welcome 11 million? <laughs> that's deep. <laughs> by the way, and, and by the way, Tony, when we say 11 million people, I don't even, I, I think that's a, that's all, that's not a, that, that's not the real number. If I just counted how many undocumented white people come up to me at Starbucks. Wow. Like it's way more than 11 million people. Wow. Well, well, since you brought up policy, of course, we have to point out the irony of our times. There's many, of course. <laughs> the the book's delightful indeed, but it brings up so many ironies because here you are with a Spanish surname taking the immigration issue head on, coming to a state where there's a senator- senatorial candidate, Ted Cruz, with a Spanish surname, who, of course, did not, was one the single vote to vote against even bringing up the immigration debate when it was possibly going to be talked about on the public floor. Um, and you it, know, I, 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 don't, I don't know how Ted Cruz does it. I really don't. Meaning, I, I know how he does it, but I don't know what happens like when he actually thinks about this issue and how his own history is tied to it. Like, how does he explain himself to himself? I mean, I remember actually when I testified in front of Congress for the Senate Judiciary Committee in 2013. And, you know, he's a member of that committee at that time. I think he's actually, he's still, I'm not remembering if he's a member of that committee right now. But I'm, here I am, undocumented immigrant. I'm testifying in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, in front of Jeff Sessions, actually. And I don't think Ted Cruz sat through my testimony. Mm. I don't think he even heard it. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. That, I, that's heartbreaking. I, but, it, but it's a metaphor, right? It's mm-hmm. a metaphor for you know, how he uses this issue. Um, and again, one, I mean, uh, estimates are showing 1.8 million undocumented people in the state of Texas. One, one could argue that, you know, that, 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 that Texas is to the 21st century what Alabama was in the 20th century. Wow. Right? It is, in the, it is at the heart of this, of this human rights struggle that we're going through. And here you have Ted Cruz, right? I don't know how history, I mean, hasn't he read about Bull Connor? Mm. Does he know how this goes? Mm. No, th- those are profound issues that are percolating all around this. I do want to remind folks, though, this really is a powerful memoir. So in a little bit, we're going to close with you reading an excerpt from it. Oh. But I do want to bring up two things, and we might not even have time to address both. First thing is, as you say in your book, this is the worst time for the attitude towards immigrants in the nation of the history but I also want people to understand that you have a story here that catches people's hearts. And a lot of my students, I'm using this in several classes, including a mixed American literature course. Okay? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> students really g- gravitate when they find out how you found out when you were undocumented at 16. Yeah, I went to the DMV. 
That's how I found out. Got here when I was 12 in the Philippines, so everything was fine. And then I went to the DMV, and the woman at the DMV said that the green card was fake. And, you know, the moment she said that, you know what I thought of inside my head? I thought, I'm not Mexican. Even at 16 years old, I had so internalized what the news media said about, quote-unquote, illegal anything. Isn't that horrible? I had so internalized it. But, but you, and, you t- and I have to say, yeah. by the way, in you know, in the past seven years that I've been doing this work, the support from the Latino community and the Mexican community in particular has been astounding. Like how welcoming people have been. You know, um, people. You know, people come up to me and say, "Hey, you're the Filipino guy." <laughs> I'm that guy, and so that's why I'm excited about coming to Houston. Right? I'm excited about kind of having this. You know, to me, a deeper conversation about psychologically what is happening. Like the book, as you know, I, I didn't want to do a traditional memoir, so I structured it um, under lying, passing, and hiding. Those are the three kind of states, <laughs> state of mind mm. that every undocumented immigrant or any immigrant can really go through in terms of our experience in this country. And I really wanted to read, you know, a part of that, a part of the book, actually, with you. Um, and to kind of set this up a little bit, um, this is towards the end of the book, and this is after, or as I was getting detained in McAllen, um, and I started thinking about my mom, and my mom's mom, my grandma, my grandmother who raised me, who came here in 1984 and became a naturalized citizen. So this is the, this is the section. It's called Cycle of Loss. Um, sitting on the floor, staring at the boys in the cell, I kept thinking of their parents the fear they must have felt knowing that they needed to do what they needed to do. I also kept thinking of my mother, wondering as I had so many times over all these years what she had told herself as she said goodbye to me at that airport 25 years ago. Mama and I rarely talked about what happened at that airport. Sometimes I would ask about a fact here or there. What was I wearing? What was she wearing? What were the last words she said to me? But we never talked about how we felt what we lost, what it means. That's the truth, as hard as it may seem to believe. Maybe it's because it's too hard for me to ask and too painful for her to remember. Maybe it's because we both know it wouldn't change anything. Maybe it's because the truth is too heavy to carry around. The truth is, I'm not the only one who lost a mother. Mama lost a mother too. Lola, my mother's mother, left the Philippines and moved to America in 1984 three years after I was born. Lola had seen her only daughter, my mama, no more than six times in 34 years. Quick visits of two to three weeks every few years. Mama is waiting in line to legally come to America. As the decades have passed, their relationship, like my relationship with mama, is mostly transactional, measured by the American products that we ship over to the Philippines and the U.S. dollars that we provide that Mama can't live without. We think we can bury what we've lost under all the things we can buy, when the truth is the loss that my mother can't express to her mother is what I struggle to express to her now. The truth is if Mama had known then what she knows now, that calling her on the phone is difficult because I can't really pretend that I know the voice on the other end of the line, but seeing her on Skype or FaceTime feels like some sort of twisted joke exposing the reality that the technology that easily connects us has rendered the very borders that divide us even more visible. I'm not sure if she would have said goodbye at the airport. 
on one of our rare phone calls, she said, I look at you now, the person you've become, and how can I have any regrets? I'm sure she meant it as a statement, but it sounded like a question. The truth is, there's a part of me, I'm certain how much, I'm uncertain how much, who is still in that airplane, wondering why my mom put me there. Powerful prose from Jose Antonio Vargas' new book, Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. Nuestra Palabra and Brazos Bookstore are thrilled to welcome you here Monday, September 24th, 7 p.m. Also, we're working with the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Board Arts Committee and the Mexican American Bar Association of Houston has paid for 15 tickets for students to attend the radio show Coming to America has paid for additional tickets. We've got other pledges as well. We're going to support you. Thank you for a powerful book. Thank you for changing the world, hermano. Maraming salamat, Asisien Tagalog. I mean, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And we are back. What a great interview. We hope we will see you Monday, September 24th at 7 p.m. We got a lot of partners on this. Talento Bilingue de Houston, Brazos Bookstore, the Mexican-American Bar Association of Houston, even Coming to America, which has donated tickets for folks to go. Again, drop us a line if you if you don't have the funds to get in with the admission. We can't admission we can't mention admission on the air, but you do get a copy of the book. You heard the interview. The book is potent. 
you got to go. Uh, but give us a call. We have a new email. It's info at nuestrapalabra.org. And we have a new Instagram, at Nuestra Palabra. So hit us up in those ways if you need help getting in or if you can help someone else. And right now we have live in the studio Chilaquil Entertainment, que van a presentar una obra de teatro en español, La Caja de Pandora, Cuando un Hombre Pierde el Control. Tenemos los chavos aquí en la cabina con nosotros. Les vamos a presentar Rafa... Rafa Sosa, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien, gracias por tenernos aquí. No, claro, un, un placer y gusto. También tenemos Chavo que se escondió allá, Chavo. Estamos a la orden. Okay. <ríe> Haciendo cosas de social media para nosotros, <ríe> por otros medios. Eri Rojas. Bueno, muchísimas gracias por tenernos acá, por la invitación. No, qué bueno. Y mi amigo, sí, somos amigos, hermanos de Jala. Ándale, ándale, Sony. Y Leo Martínez aquí, que qué que bueno que llegaste a la cabina. Primeramente, Cuéntele al público cuándo pueden ir a ver esta obra, porque eso vamos a mencionarlo varias veces. Para que lo pongan de una vez en el calendario, septiembre 30, domingo 30 de septiembre a las 5 de la tarde en Talento Bilingüe de Houston. Ahí los esperamos, la entrada es libre, así que no se necesita boleto, lo único, por favor, pues lleguen un poquito con tiempo para que puedan seleccionar buen lugar, ¿verdad? Esperemos tener buena audiencia, este entonces, para que agarren buen, buen asiento, eh... Lo que es que ya conocen el teatro es muy cómodo, de cualquier lugar puedes ver, pero siempre, siempre, siempre tienes un asiento que es favorito, ¿a poco claro. <risa> claro. Y bueno, cuéntales un poco al público de qué tiene que ver la obra. Mira, la obra. Para que se animen, para que ah, se animen a ir. La obra se trata de eh, el tema de la violencia doméstica, eh, la violencia de género, pero sobre todo de la violencia del control. Y cómo nuestra sociedad a veces nos impulsa. En una, uh, en una vicio muy desagradable de tratar de unos seres humanos contra la, controlar a otros seres humanos, ¿verdad? este Hablar de este tema que a veces no lo aceptamos y no lo notamos eh, y no lo queremos hablar de, de él muy abiertamente, pero pasa, pasa en nuestras sociedades, pasa en nuestra casa, pasa en nuestra familia, pasa en nuestros trabajos, pasa en nuestras escuelas, pasa en nuestro gobierno, pasa uh -huh. en toda nuestra sociedad. Entonces, ¿nos vas a deprimir? ¿Nos vamos a quedar deprimidos? ¿o? Pues no, porque justamente lo estamos tratando desde un punto fársico, de una comedia fársica, como, digo, la parte picante que a todos los latinos nos gusta, de que incluso somos capaces de burlarnos de nuestros problemas, entonces todo esto está contado aparte, a través de una comedia. De, vier, de justamente lo absurdo que, que, que es claro. el control, lo absurdo que, que puede ser este mundo bajo, bajo estas circunstancias, ¿no? Les prometemos que se van a reír. Claro. Mucho. Y estos caballeros van a ser, son, ellos tienen el trabajo de hacernos reír de estos temas. Exacto. ¿Cómo lo vas a hacer, Eri? ¿Cómo lo vas a hacer? Bueno, fíjate que eh, en el momento que Silo nos propuso esto, pues tuvimos que trabajar muy rápido. Y al principio sí pensamos que iba, iba a estar un poco como dramático y todo lo demás, pero bueno, gracias a Dios se trabajó para, para incluir unos personajes, trabajar en ellos, para que la gente pues no nada más entienda lo que se quiere entender eh, con el tema del control de cómo quizás el sistema o ciertas cosas no controlan, sino también eso, como dice Silo, esa conciencia que nos hace, nos habla de un lado, nos habla de otro, y eso es lo que queremos llevar también un poco a la comedia, la gente. Mm. Explicarles la situación, el problema, pero también hacerlos reír, hacerlos pasar bien. Entonces, por eso, entre Rafi y yo, pues, creamos unos personajes bastante graciosos, <risa> así que no se pueden perder la obra. Tienen que ir a ver todo el trabajo que, que se ha hecho durante, durante estos meses. Es súper cool. ¿Y cuál es tu punto de vista? ¿Qué, qué piensas? Bueno, mi punto de vista eh, con respecto a la obra, nosotros venimos haciendo el papel de las ideas 
del, del personaje principal en la, en la obra. Nosotros estamos recreando, haciendo los personajes que en realidad son los que te van a hacer reír. Porque la parte del monólogo de la obra es la parte más seria. Y nosotros somos los que venimos a entrar en el juego de la comicidad un poquito para, para que la gente de, no, se, no se sienta un poco agredida. Eh, nosotros las vamos a hacer reír un poco. Me convencieron. Pero, <risa> pero, pero entonces yo, no te la vas a perder. No, yo, yo voy. No me la voy a perder. Pero también yo creo que lo, lo, lo bonito es que realmente es teatro en español. Cuéntanos un poco de, de, de este esfuerzo. ¿Y, y mira, por qué te importa tanto hacer esto? Mira, a mí me importa mucho porque cuando yo llegué a los Estados Unidos, aquí especialmente a Houston, uh, me costó mucho trabajo encontrar lugares donde hubiera teatro en español. Y con el tiempo, en una ocasión me encontré con Silo, aquí en una, en una reunión, y estuvimos hablando hace como dos, tres años de hacer teatro nuevamente. Y fíjate que pasaron los años y nos volvimos a encontrar y empezamos a hacer algo, una obra de teatro. Y, y eso es lo que a mí me motivó, seguir el, el curso que, que lleva Silo, a trabajar con él y también con Eduardo, que, que nos juntamos y mmm, tenemos casi los mismos objetivos. Traer teatro en español a Houston. Cultura. Es importante. Es muy importante. No solamente para nosotros, sino para las nuevas generaciones que vienen. Porque es un poco difícil encontrar teatro en español. Claro. Y ustedes ya han hecho teatro en México. Ya tienen conocimiento de la, de, del ambiente artístico. Yo creo que lo el pecado es que este país nos hace olvidar que como mexicanos y venezolanos ¿no? gracias, gracias por tenemos una historia profunda de arte y así talento, es. ¿verdad? Así es, tenemos mucho arte. Esta obra de teatro uh, está basada en muchas estadísticas, como, como nos dijo Silo, uh, estadísticas específicas. Entonces, él se dedicó a hacer la, la, la el escritura, proceso, ¿no? el proceso de la obra, ¿sí?, nosotros estamos actuando, pero también ayudamos en, en cosas como el vestuario. Hay que mm. hacer cambios y todo, cosas que no se ven bien. Eh, ideas de Eduardo, sabes que no lo hagas así, ponlo de esta manera, eh, di, dilo de esta manera, la dirección de Silo también. Eh, son muchas cosas que se van conjugando para llegar al, 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 a la meta que, que viene siendo la, la representación mm. de la obra. Se trabaja mucho como colectivo en el grupo. Con las ideas de todos, que creo que es lo que debemos de estar abiertos lo, lo, los artistas ahora, no, no solamente trabajar sobre una línea rígida, sino también que cada uno crezca en diferentes campos este y aportar este ideas y aportar uh, cada quien su, su, su parte esencial. Y, y están invitando a otros actores, Así gente es. que tiene ese interés, que vengan también. Y... Así es, claro que sí, si sí, hay otros actores, actrices, este es que... chavos, jóvenes, viejos de cualquier edad, este, que quieren integrarse a, a grupos de teatro, nos estamos, nosotros estamos abiertos, ¿verdad? Queremos continuar haciendo más uh, proyectos y por entre más gente... Y súper importante en español, para mí es algo español, que es súper importante. ¿Sabes qué? Eh, la gente muchas veces cree que la gente que está aquí, que se viene, pues ya habla más inglés, ¿no? Y aunque sí, muchos hablamos de inglés claro. y muchos lo seguimos hablando bastante mal, como yo, ¿no? Que como yo que se me entiende la tercera parte como cuando hablo inglés. Eh, la gente quiere seguir consumiendo eh, en español, quiere, uh -huh. se siente más eh, cómoda y aparte eh, es, te relacionas más con, uh -huh. con tu propia cultura cuando te hablan de tu propia idiosincrasia. 
¿no? Uh -huh. Y sobre todo lo que queremos hacer es, es de temas que, que le suceden a los latinos, aquí en la ciudad de Houston también, ¿no? Uh -huh. De dentro eh, de, de, de nuestro contexto como latinos, como inmigrantes claro. dentro de esta ciudad. También obviamente es padre cuando hablas de, de las historias que pasaron en nuestros pueblos uh -huh. y todo. Nosotros en particular queremos basarnos en lo que sucede con los latinos de diferentes lados y cómo nos integramos ahora de México, de Guatemala, de Venezuela, de El Salvador, de Honduras, de Costa Rica, de todos lados, aquí en una Qué sola bueno. comunidad latina. ¡Qué bueno! ¿Y, y para ti qué significa esta, esta obra? Porque tú ya tienes experiencia, ¿verdad? De... Sí, bueno, yo creo que parte del trabajo de traer algo artístico no es nada más por mostrar una obra de teatro o un trabajo que venimos haciendo. Yo creo que también el, el arte, como dice Rafael, es cultura, es educación, mm. es desarrollo. Y sobre todo si, si mostramos esto a las bases, que son los chicos, mm. quiere, creo fielmente que van a tener otro tipo de desarrollo. Desarrollo cultural, abierto de diversidad. Entonces una de las cosas que, que bueno, que sí lo trabajó bastante con, con la obra de teatro fue el tema de, de demostrar, ¿no? Ese, ese, ese control, como él mm. ya lo mencionó. Y lo que queremos es que la gente entienda que es, eh, ser actor o actriz o artista no es nada más algo ahí olvidado para poner en una esquina, sino que se necesita un desarrollo cultural muy amplio, mm. educativo muy, muy amplio para poder hacer este tipo de trabajo, porque hay que leer mucho, hay que trabajar mucho. Y lo que queremos decirle a la gente de que sí se puede y de que esto no es nada más para dejarlo en una esquina, sino no nada más para desarrollarnos y aceptarnos unos con otros. Yo creo que eso es parte de lo que yo como artista, y estoy seguro que los muchachos también quisieran expresar, traer a la comunidad y decirles que sí, que el arte es cultura, es desarrollo mm. y es educación. Y que y vale la pena. Y que también puede ser divertido también, porque yo es algo que siempre, siempre he pensado mucho, que a veces eh, pensamos que el arte tiene que ser sobrio, tiene que ser serio, mm, o tiene que ser este totalmente formal y apegado a, 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 a reglas protocolo antiguo, y al protocolo, ¿no? Este, y no, yo creo que el teatro debe ser para la gente, y nuestra extensión es esa, es llevarle teatro a la gente, y precisamente tal vez a la gente que nunca ha visto teatro, que nunca ha visto una puesta en escena, eh, que estamos seguros que así como mucho, a muchos de nosotros nos pasó que en nuestra vida habíamos visto una puesta en escena y que al momento de verla nos enamoramos bueno, ¿por qué no hablamos a Chavo de eso? porque con el nombre Chavo yo pensaba que era actor Dije, <risa> pero tú eres un ejemplo de esto ¿verdad? Sí. cuéntanos un poco de eso yo soy un ejemplo, gracias por considerarme así este, no lo había visto de esa manera pero es interesante a partir que alguien como yo que no está eh, preparado como mis compañeros sí lo están, que no ha tenido una experiencia en cuanto a esto, pues básicamente esto para mí es una experiencia. ¿Por qué? Porque estoy teniendo una experiencia de vida en la cual sirvo como ejemplo para que otras personas que al igual que yo no han estado involucradas en nada que tenga que ver con el teatro, sean conscientes que la oportunidad está abierta para todos, sin importar mm. tengas la preparación o no. Es nada más cuestión de tener las ganas y que tengas la intención de rodearte personas que en verdad están buscando algo en beneficio de la comunidad. Entonces, si esa es la intención, aquí estoy a la orden. Si, ah, sirvo, qué bueno. si se me toma como ejemplo, muchas gracias por tomarme como tal. No, qué bueno. Yo creo que eso es lo que queremos para toda, cada persona de nuestra comunidad. Así es. Que ustedes están proveniendo algo para sí. Uh -huh. Que, que es muy, muy lindo. Todavía tenemos un poco más tiempo, pero denle los datos otra vez para okay. que la gente... Septiembre 30, septiembre, domingo, septiembre 30, en el Teatro de Talento Bilingüe, la Jensen y la Navigation. Ya muchos de ustedes saben dónde está el teatro. A las 5 de la tarde, la caja de Pandora cuando un hombre pierde el control. Entrada completamente libre, no se necesita boleto. Lleguen temprano, 
¿no? Es una comedia fársica acerca de, eh, de, del control, ¿no? De, 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 la violencia, de, de la violencia del control. Y para que se animen, también uh -huh. eh, les podemos decir que dentro de la obra se va a to permitir tomar fotos, se va a permitir tomar video. Y también, los que se animen, se puede insultar al personaje. ¿Qué? <risa> ¿Really? Really, <risa> completamente ¿Te cierto. Ay, en... ¿Cómo es el personaje ahora? <risa> Pero te van a responder, para que sepan. <risa> El que se lleva se aguanta. No, pero va a, haber, eh, va a haber mucha interacción con la gente en esto. Y la forma de comedia, te digo, es contada desde el abusador. El tipo es un desgraciado machista, ¿no? Entonces, si alguien, pues sí, la verdad, siente la necesidad de, de, de insultarlo. Pues, wow, o de decirle cool, algo. Cool. Adelante. De eso se trata la vida, ¿no? De... de de tener el valor Genial. de responder y de tomar acciones sobre las cosas que no nos gustan. No se permite entrar con cuchillo. Sí, no, no, ¿verdad? Insultar tampoco. Insultar, un poquito de paciencia con el personaje. Tampoco, se avientan las palomitas nada más que caigan en la boca. Pues. Los vasos van a ser plásticos, no hay vasos de vidrio. No, qué, qué bueno. ¿Y cuáles son los planes de futuro para Chilaquil Entertainment? Para Chilaquil Entertainment, bueno... Eh, invitar a la gente eh, que se quiere unir a, a la agrupación, nos puede encontrar en eh, Facebook como Chilaquil Entertainment, uh -huh. nos pueden mandar mensaje ahí, también este conectarnos. El día del teatro, ahí también nos puede buscar el, el 30 de septiembre, vamos a tener una lista o contactarnos personalmente, ya cuando termine la función, obviamente pues, vamos a salir a saludar a la gente que nos contacten este y estar en contacto verdad para a próximos eventos. Y, y ya a nivel, digamos, operativo, lo que estamos buscando con esta obra para el próximo año 2019 también es llevarla a los diferentes... Eh, eh, distritos escolares de Houston, principalmente a las high school, para los jóvenes. No, qué bueno. Estamos, por eso estamos buscando el apoyo de comunidad, de líderes uh -huh. culturales, de líderes empresariales y obviamente de, de los directores de, de los diferentes distritos escolares de la de Houston y Metropolitana, Pasadena, Galveston. ¿Y ustedes son grupos sin fines de lucro? O son, los... son grupos sin fines de lucro. Ah, qué okay, bueno. Okay. Entonces sí pueden recibir donaciones, etcétera. Sí, exacto. Sí, sí, ah, sí. qué bueno. Sí, estamos, este, estamos justamente... Eh, de un grupo, digamos, que nos reunimos unos cuates para hacer algo, ya ahorita estamos justamente en el proceso de, de, de poner los papeles en regla para que ya, ya fungir como organización bueno, no, porque... educativa y yeah. ponerla, digamos, más seriedad al asunto. Como no, ¿no? están cobrando, dije, ay, ¿cómo, <risa> ¿cómo lo van a hacer? Pero... Bueno, déjame decirte que esto lo estamos financiando nosotros con sí. nuestras propias carteritas. La, como dijimos eh, al principio este, del programa, ajá. nosotros como cuidados siempre estamos haciendo. Rafa o sea, vende entonces... tamales los domingos y, y Eduardo ya este sábado lo toca... Va a tener arepas, eh, 100 reina por pepeada, la docena también. Para la este, arte. Para, para contar. No, pero sí, la verdad, ahorita lo estamos haciendo eso, porque pues no hay de dónde agarrarnos. No, qué bueno. Pero, pero también yo, yo, yo digo que necesitamos exigir que den fondos para grupos como el de ustedes, como otros, para que pueden hacer esto todo el tiempo. Exacto, exacto, porque comentaba, como te comentaba, una cosa es decir, bueno, pues puedo hacer una función. A lo mejor, ok, la podemos y hacer. Y lo podemos hacer, También, lo hemos hecho. Pero no se trata de hacer una función. Se trata de hacer... Todo lo que implica para hacer una, una función. función. Ah. O sea, todo el gasto que hay, escenografía, hay vestuario, uh, viajes de un lado para otro. Horas. Horas Hora. de trabajo, horas de ensayo. Eh, todo eso implica, implica gasto. Entonces, para promoverlo, para promoverlo. Y, y realmente desafortunadamente bueno si si les dan un millón de dólares a Hala para otro departamento será para específicamente estar conectado con las escuelas para que ustedes hacen la obra la, lo, lo, lo cultivan 
y ya tenemos y, listo la máquina. Imagínate cuánto nos costaría a nosotros simplemente en el distrito de Houston son 38 escuelas, 38 o oh, high schools, ¿no? Llevar 38 funciones a dif eh, diferentes lugares, a diferentes locaciones, montar todo, ¿cuánto nos costaría en versión personal? O sea, desafortunadamente, si lo tuviéramos ese dinero, claro. qué padre, si yo fuera millonario, qué Como padre, foto. pero no lo somos. ¿No? Sin cobrar, ¿cómo lo van a hacer? ¿Cómo, ah. ¿cómo lo somos? Exacto, ¿cómo lo somos, no? Pero, pero también yo sé que esos alumnos iban a beneficiar de esto. Iban de, profundamente les iba a tocar el corazón, sí. el cerebro. Eh, y, pero ahí estamos, va, y, vamos a llegar a Y eso. más que a esa edad es cuando los muchachitos empiezan, claro. obviamente, la hormona. <risa> este, mejor que, de, que, que esas hormonas empiecen a dar claro. besos en lugar de golpes. Claro, no, mm. qué fuerte. Y también yo, yo sé que... Yo creo que también que como profesor, yo con, yo conozco en dos minutos los alumnos que ya tienen experiencia actuando, leyendo, como ustedes pueden prevenir, y les va mejor en la escuela y profesionalmente. Sí, exacto. Lo que queremos es que el público también abrace el arte y lo haga suyo, ¿no? Entonces, claro. eso es una de las cosas que, que buscamos, que los muchachos quizás en vez de, de hacer cualquier otra cosa, pues decidan asistir eso. a una obra de teatro y... Y divertirse, como dice Silo, hacer comedia, culturizarse, desarrollarse, es educativo. Y lo que queremos es que la gente abrace ese concepto de, de, del arte. Perfecto. Well, I can't wait. Thank you, guys. Un aplauso para ustedes. Gracias por yeah. tenernos aquí. Hey, great show, nuestra palabra. This is Tony Díaz, el libro Taficante. Say chao. This is Joe Anthony, nuestra palabra. This is Letty. And this is Marlon. Have a good one. I'll see you at one of those five readings we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Stay tuned for Coming to America. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, KPFT is a daily check-in on the workings of democracy. Part of a democracy is an independent press and media. Media like this is supposed to be the check and balance on government. And community radio is one of the few media outlets left that is completely independent. That's why in this age of the greatest media consolidation America has ever seen, having different voices out there is essential. KPFT has been around since 1970 and we have survived through the contributions of people like you. Listeners who donate to KPFT support us because they know that's what keeps KPFT independent. Why wait for a pledge drive? You can join KPFT online at kpft.org. Thomas Jefferson said, People cannot be both ignorant and free. Help keep KPFT vibrant with your financial contribution. Visit kpft.org to join securely online. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio, KPFT Houston. Thousands of you have heeded the call, but there's always room for more. You can find KPFT on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. From our latest updates to funny videos, contests, news, and more, you can find us anytime, day or night. We're at KPFT Houston on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'd love to give you the latest. Plus, you're already on Facebook. Why not get behind the scenes of Houston's leader for independent music, arts, ideas, and culture right now? Again, find us at KPFT. KPFT Houston on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. See you there.